APATA acknowledges the custodians and elders past and present on the lands on which we work, practice, rehearse, perform and present across Australia. We pay respect to the cultural authority and traditions of the land. The first peoples of this nation express their culture through music, dance and storytelling and it is a privilege to continue a tradition of storytelling and performance in this country. We acknowledge Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples as the first Australians and traditional custodians of the lands where we live, learn and work. Today on the Apata podcast, you will get to hear from Wakakiri. Wakakiri are the 2021 Apata Award winners for excellence in performing arts education. Australia's largest performing arts festival for schools, this is your chance to hear from them just who they are and what they do and why everyone should love Wakakiri. being here with us today. Uh, my name is Francesca and I'm going to be speaking with two of my colleagues from Wakakiri. Wakakiri is an education program for schools that develops student engagement and well-being through participation in the performing arts and it has been in operation since 1992. Every year thousands of students take to the stage to perform story dances across Australia. Today I have with me the festival director of Wakakiri, Adam Loxley, and the marketing manager, Mignon Green. Welcome! Hey, Francesca. Hey. Um, Adam, can we, we'll kick off with you. Um, how did Wakakiri begin? Can you share the origin story of the organization with us? Yeah, sure. Um, uh, Wakakiri has, um, I, yeah, it's got an interesting origin story. Um, uh, I, I started out as a uh, lighting and sound person. Um, and uh yeah, early in, in my career, I was you know, working on shows and um, I started working with a friend of mine who, um, who was a teacher at the time. He just graduated from university and, um, and, and we were working together just as a production company and we were just trying to do creative things. We were, you know, we were producing um, theatre shows, we were doing a few musicals and, um, and at the time I was working, uh, I was doing a lot of lighting and sound for um, the local dance companies who would come into a venue that I was working at and, um, and, and they would put these shows on and I'd watch the shows and, and, you know, a lot of the content was, um, was pretty ordinary, but some of it was great. And, and I said to um, Matt, who I was working with, you know, if we could take those, you know, some of those best um, dance performances and put them all together, you'd have this, you know, amazing show. And, um, and because he was a teacher, um, he said, well, you know, why couldn't we do that with schools? And, and the idea was kind of born from there. Um, so we, uh, yeah, we, we started, we, we came up with this, with the, with the framework and we, we started calling around schools. Um, but we, we really had, we had nothing at the time. Like we were really just, we were young. We were starting this, this company 
Um, so we had no money at all. Um, and, uh, but we put the first show on and, uh, and then the next year we, um, we decided to do it again. And we applied for this thing. It's called a, it was called a, a Queen's Trust grant at the time. And, um, and, and basically uh, what it meant was that it was, it was designed for small businesses to try and get them you know, up and running. Um, but the, you could only apply for it back then in 92 if you were on the dole. So we had to go on the dole, apply for this, um, this funding, and which was, seems strange because we had to make ourselves unemployed so we could start a business. Um, but we, we got this funding, we got $2,000, but we also got the, the equivalent of the dole for a year. And we were allowed to start our business while we were on the dole. And we got sent to a business school um, and we had to do a business plan. We got a mentor. And, um, and then, yeah, so we, we did the show the second time and, and that was the start of it. We, um, we, we had a bit of a, a solid foundation and um, we, we started to, to grow the event around Australia. And, uh, yeah, it was, uh, it, it was an interesting ride because um, even though we were, you know, we were getting the equivalent of the doll for a year, we, we still were really uh, starting it with nothing. And um, so we would, um, you know, back in the day, we had to, we, we used to call the schools and tell them all about it. Um, and we would also mail, but we'd make a leaflet up and we'd sit around in the lounge room and, and stuff envelopes and, um, and we had uh, stamps that the local council had given us uh, as part. That was their sponsorship. They'd give us a big roll of stamps so we so we could pay for the envelopes. And uh, and yeah, we, we started the event in in Sydney, um, and we we did it in Sydney for a couple of years, and then we 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 tried it in Canberra, um, and then we started uh, growing it into the other states. And um, yeah until eventually it was a national event. It took about, I think, about six years for us to become a national event from there. Yeah, that's an amazing origin. Uh, so 1992, that's, that's nearly 30 years. Next year is, the 30, is our 30th anniversary, right? It is, yeah. It's our birthday next year. It's very that's exciting. Very exciting. So just focusing on the Walker Carey shows themselves, what are some differences from the first years to now? Oh, uh, you know, the, the original shows, so because I was a production person, um, so I, I used to work in lighting and sound and I did stage managing as well. And so I was quite obsessed with, um, you know, the, the way that the event would work. Um, so, you know, bringing the schools in, uh, you know, getting them to their dressing space, you know, getting them to the, the backstage area, staging the whole thing. I was quite obsessed with that whole process and um, I'd, I'd sort of, written it all down and worked out exactly how it was supposed to work like clockwork. And um, so the, the, the early shows were probably over-engineered by me. <laughs> probably went a bit too far. For, it was a bit like, you know, the way McDonald's run. Everyone had a station and they all had to stick to it. Um, but the, the end product on stage um, looked very similar to what it looked like, what it looks like now, um, except... Um, I think early we re we recognised that schools uh, were schools were really into it, and they were started like we were really impressed by the um, the, the first performances that, that came onto the stage. Um, but very quickly we noticed that schools were getting into building big sets and props and costumes, 
And um, we, that kind of concerned us because at the same time that we were starting up, we, the Rocker Stedford was, in, um, was also running in parallel. And we, we were looking at all the problems that they were having with big sets and props and costumes and, and the affordability of the event. And so we decided that we wanted to put a lid on that. And that was sort of <clears throat> where the sustainability part of Wakakiri came in. We said, <clears throat> excuse me, um, yeah, we, 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 we tried to find a way to limit how many sets and props schools could have. And, and instead of just saying, you know, you're not allowed to do this, we said, we want you to be sustainable. So here's some basic guidelines, but let's focus on sustainability. And because sustainability was something that was on the radar for the general public at the time, but it wasn't big. Um, but we, we really wanted to get behind the, the push. And um, so, yeah, early days, big sets. But these days, um, that, the, that sustainability legacy is still there. And it's something that we're really proud of. Yeah, that's a fabulous thing to carry forward into the future. Uh, Min, I just want to ask you, let's bring you in. Um, can you talk about the differences in school environments and teachers themselves? How have those changed in the time that you've been at Wakakiri? What are some of the differences? Um, I guess the major difference is that in the seven years that I've been with Wakakiri, I've noticed that teachers are getting increasingly, uh, the time is increasingly precious. Um, they're highly stressed. Um, there's a lot of pressure on teachers um, to deliver results um, and the, those results, you know, like such as NAPLAN, those results that are easily measured, I guess, um, and that uh, are publicised, um, the introduction of NAPLAN um, has resulted in teachers uh, being, I guess, more pressured. It's not just to do with NAPLAN, but I think that's... Um, it's one of the main reasons um, why there is so much pressure on teachers. Um, and so as a result, you know, performing arts uh, quite often um, gets overlooked, it gets dropped. Um, there's also a cost factor to schools, um, public schools in particular, don't always have the funds to invest in their arts programs. Um, arts programs also, you know, cost money. Um, and so, again, it's easy if you're looking, if your budget is limited, you, then the first thing to go is the arts programs. So it's a struggle with schools. Yeah, I, I've noticed um, since the early days of Waikakiri, <clears throat> they, they used to, schools used to have dedicated, you know, performing arts teachers. Mm -hmm. And, um, and they, we over the history of Waikakiri, we've seen those teachers um, disappear and teachers are now, you know, that they, they're not so specialised. Um, but it, it has meant that, um, yeah, the teachers, you know, they don't have that confidence that they used to have before to put these sort of things together. And and the big change that we've, I've noticed is just how the, how teachers' time and workload has just gone up and, it's, and that's really impacted um, on time devoted to the performing arts. Um, and, yeah, it's... it's um, yeah, it, it, it's definitely changed the the way schools approach. We, we've noticed a big difference in the way schools approach Waikiri now. Yeah, there's also an increase in red tape too at school at a school level. Uh, again, so with Waikiri students have to leave the school grounds to participate and that's, you know, it's just more complicated these days. There's more time required to get that 
the risk assessments through and get the approvals that are needed to get students out of school. Um, and for some teachers who are already time poor and under pressure, it's all just a bit too much. Um, so that's another issue that we're facing. Um, I'd love to discuss some of the ways that Wakakiri has come up with to help these under-resourced teachers and school communities. Um, I know that we have a few initiatives that we've put out there that can be really helpful for teachers who don't have the time, the budget, all these different things that we talked about. Um, maybe, maybe Min, would you like to dive in on that one? Yeah, sure. So um, we've got a few uh, programs that address those issues with schools and teachers. So the Best Start program is one that addresses the um, capabilities of teachers in schools. So that's where we send a professionally trained dance and drama teacher into the school to run Wakakiri rehearsals. And uh, it is a great form of professional development for teachers who are still involved, but um, they basically work alongside our teacher. And I've seen it, um, it basically results in an increased confidence in the teachers that are involved in that program to actually give performing arts a go. Um, I think most of those teachers, most at a primary level have the skills, but just it's the confidence that's lacking. So after a year with our Best Start program, a lot of the schools can actually go it alone and they have the confidence to do so. Mm -hmm. And they see firsthand um, how engaged the students get in performing arts. And I think um, teachers, one thing about teachers, all teachers, they love to see their students engaged. And any program that engages students in learning, um, the schools will repeat. Um, because it's, it's a struggle sometimes. So there's that, the Best Start program. Then we also have our Inspiration Fund, which is a fundraising program that we run. We introduced that three years ago and 100% um, of the funds in that program are given back to schools in disadvantaged communities to subsidise their participation. Um, so we've been sort of subsidising around about 20 schools per year since we started that program. Um, and it's been, it's been a huge success. Um, it's a challenge to actually fundraise for that program um, because there's, you know, there's more and more demand for funding assistance um, and schools clearly want to participate um, and financially it's a major barrier for a lot of schools. Um, so, you know, we're committed to continuing to fundraise and, you know, Hopefully, um, we can get some more government funding in the future for that program. Yeah, that would yeah, be fantastic. Yeah, a lot of the schools, some, some of the schools use the Inspiration Fund to pay for a Best Start program. Mm -hmm. um, mm. uh, yeah, they're kind of combining the two. <clears throat> and um, just about the, the Best Start program as well. I, I think um, sometimes, I, I know a lot of teachers really enjoy the creative process of Wakakiri. Um, you know, they're, they're, they're creating a piece of art with their kids to put on a stage. And, um, but, and so I've, I've seen some of our um, teachers who once upon a time had a lot of time to do Wakakiri and they really loved being creative. Um, so they've started using the Best Art program now as a way of being up to just complement what they do. So they can still be involved in the creative process, but this extra person coming into the school, um, you know, just helps them with that lifting the load. And um, I, I, I like that aspect of it. Um, I, I like that, you know, new teachers can get a best start um, person in and, and learn, you know, Wakakiri from the ground up. 
But I also like how Best Art can come in and help those teachers that really love what they do, but they just need the help. Um, and yeah, the Inspiration Fund as well, I think is, it's, it's something that we're really proud of. And uh, like Min said, it's, it's, something, it's, it's a challenge for us to raise money for it. But um, the more money we raise, the more schools apply for it. Um, mm. And the, the more requests, every year we get more and more requests for um, support from schools. And, um, you know, Waikakiri is an expense. There's a lot of expenses that go with, um, you know, uh, <clears throat> costumes and sets and buses to the event, you know, food for the kids on the day. Um, and, and the schools can't put all of that back onto the parents. Um, so, yeah, something like the Inspiration Fund is really important for Waikakiri's future. We also have the uh, video challenge, which sits alongside our live challenge for schools that are located in regional areas or perhaps schools that um, are in disadvantaged communities that can't afford the bus travel or the live participation fee to go along to the live show. Um, it's a very cost-effective way of participating in Wakikiri. The students still uh, receive all the judging feedback that the students get at the live performance. Um, and they can still get to um, dance and create a piece and share it with the wider community. Yeah, the, the, video, the video program, we noticed during COVID last year, um, so we had to cancel all of our, um, all of our live shows. And, um, yeah, so the video program really came um, into its own last um, during COVID. Um, and schools embraced it um, and... That we we got some really amazing entries um, on video, and and it also allowed schools to take a slightly different um, approach to the way they produce their performance. Um, so that was really eye opening for for everybody. Um, so yeah, the, the video program is um, I think there's a really big future in it actually, um, and especially um, as a way for us to involve regional schools and get out there to regional areas. Um, video yeah is <clears throat> is an is an excellent access point. That leads in perfectly to the next topic I wanted to talk about, which is that we are still living in a post or even during COVID world. There were, last year was exceptionally difficult for teachers, schools, and students. Um, as you said, Adam, we transitioned to our video program last year, but I was wondering if either of you could, um, could just comment on anything that you've noticed um, that is still affecting teachers and students from COVID this year that still affected the performing arts education landscape? <clears throat> from my point of view, I've seen um, <clears throat> a lot of um, hesitation to commit to uh, doing Wakakiri because th there's so much uncertainty about, you know, with, with lockdowns and stuff like that. So schools were very much uh, reluctant to commit to such a big event. So, yeah, it's been difficult for us um, trying to convince schools that um, <clears throat> we had something for them to, to be in and finding a way to guarantee uh, schools could be involved. But um, we've also been getting some feedback um, from uh, schools about uh, student participation. And, um, yeah, Min, you, you probably you talk to the schools more about that. Um, well, I think, you know, the, the COVID interrupted a lot of the arts programs, um, I think, um, which, you know, basically they all came to a stop. And so to restart those programs and to get the student involvement again um, back to the same levels that it was pre-COVID is a challenge for schools. Um, I think 
you know, it's amazing how quickly kids forget about, you know, the arts um, when they've missed a year of it. Um, schools are also playing catch up um, because of COVID too. I think that's one of the things that I'm noticing this year when I'm talking to teachers is they're extraordinarily busy this year. Um, they feel like they're more busy than they were prior to COVID. And I'm not sure whether that's because we all stopped and had a bit of a break um, and now we're actually noticing um, what we do a lot more and we feel the impact of what those extra programs a lot more. But um, it could also be because um, schools are trying to cover a lot, like to try and make up what they missed last year. So, um, yeah, they're probably the main things. And also, I guess, you know, with our video program, Adam's already mentioned it, but our, you know, schools love that. Um, there's definitely an increasing use of technology at school levels. There's more comfort with using um, technology at schools. And I think, you know, the, our video challenge is definitely um, something that's going to continue to grow into the future. If a school still wanted to get involved with the video challenge for 2021, are they able to do that this year? Sure. Yeah, our registrations don't close for that until August and the entries for that are not due until September. Fantastic. Um, we've talked a lot about how Wakakiri itself has changed, how the school environment has changed. Um, but thinking of the larger goals of Wakakiri, Adam, how have those changed from the beginning? Yeah, so when Wakakiri first started, um, it, it was you know, a performing arts program and a lot of schools sort of viewed it as a competition. Um, we started doing research and asking schools, um, you know, what was it about Wakakiri that they loved? Um, and we used to get so many different answers. It was really hard to pin down any one thing about Wakakiri that, um, that stood out above, above the rest. Um, you know, all the teachers talked about engagement. Um, they all talked about, you know, giving you know, students um, having that their first experience on stage. They talked about teamwork. They talked about community. Um, but and I think that the big difference um, between now and now and then is that um, we we sort of view Wakakiri more now as a um, as a wellness and well-being program. Um, because that is probably the biggest outcome that, that schools get from um, Wakakiri. There's all these wonderful benefits, but we've, um, we've really had to be research directed in the way that we discuss Wakakiri with schools. Um, so yeah, that, that whole idea of um, you know, wellness and wellbeing um, being an outcome from participating in the performing arts is something that we've really um, we've researched, we've, we've found to be true, and now we're, we're championing that. Um, um, and, yeah, it's, it's something, yeah, once again, we're really proud of it. Um, we, we love how it's, you know, students, teachers have told us how engaged students are when they're, they're doing Wakakiri. Um, you know, they can explore career pathways through Wakakiri. There's, there's all these wonderful things um, that, that come from participation. But, um, yeah, that wellness and wellbeing out, outcome is probably the biggest one. I think also at a secondary level, um, students uh, really develop skills in the performing arts, um, which can lead to you know career pathways. And we have our uh, performing arts careers day for secondary students. Um, and students also are responsible for creating 60% of the performance at a secondary level. So it's very hands-on. 
And I think, you know, these days um, schools need to prepare uh, students with, you know, actual skills to actually go into uh, the workforce. And I think Wakakiri definitely does that. I mean, maybe you'd just like to expand a bit on um, how we do actually measure these outcomes. Because Adam said that we do a lot of research into this. We do a lot of thinking about what our well-being outcomes really are. Um, but maybe you could just talk about, yeah, how we actually take a look at those and make sure that we're achieving our goals. So every year um, we do our own evaluation with teachers. Uh, we get feedback from all of our schools that participate on, uh, you know, we ask them um, what they think they've gotten out of the program. Um, but last year we also undertook independent research for the first time in quite a few years. Um, and that was uh, via a series of focus groups with teachers and students. Uh, it was really pleasing um, that the outcomes that were reported through that research matched up with the outcomes um, that we are told by through our evaluation process. Um, so that is, you know, the emotional and physical wellbeing outcomes that Adam already mentioned. Um, a gateway, you know, that Wakakiri serves as a gateway to the arts and fosters an appreciation for the industry. Um, and, you know, the social connections and bonds with other students across year levels and outside their regular peer groups. And then there's teamwork, leadership, time management, problem solving, etc. All very really, all really crucial skills for the 21st century workforce. Mm, amazing. Um, so, Sort of thinking more broadly um, about the future of Wakakiri, um, Adam, what would you like to see happen? How would you like to see Wakakiri evolve in coming years as we move into our third decade? Um, we've we've uh, observed over the years um, when when some schools uh, integrate Wakakiri <clears throat> into their curriculum, um, they get really wonderful outcomes, um, as opposed to um, a, when a school uses Waikakiri as a extracurricular activity, um, they, they still get great outcomes, but when they integrate it into the school and it becomes part of their, the, the learning process for the whole school, um, yeah, the outcomes are amazing. And I, I, that's what I'd really like to see. I think the future for the performing arts is that integration. Um, and we, we've, I've, I've been observing as well, like over the years, there was a trend um, away from, you know, the performing arts being part of the curriculum and schools were outsourcing it. But what I've noticed these days is now it, there's sort of that outsourcing is, is lessening and, and they're, they're sort of keeping it in-house. Um, but I think that's, you know, if you, could, if you could get, if you could ask for anything more direction from the government about the performing arts is that, yeah, they would, they would pioneer and be more innovative in helping schools make the performing arts you know, part of everything that they do. Because when, like when you're performing in Waikakiri or when you're creating Waikakiri story, you know, there's so many ways that the school can explore it. Um, you know, like the, the, the sets, props and costumes, you know, that can become a school activity. Um, you know, the, the, even the design of the, of, of the costumes, you know, that, that could be part of, um, you know, the, um, the, what's the one we for the, the design department at a school or the arts department. Um, you know, the, the kids can explore the, the story subject matter is, is really important. Um, if the schools are exploring a story about their local history um, or they're, they're doing a, an area of, you know, from the, from the curriculum, 
then once again, you know, whatever, whatever they're learning in the classroom can be put on stage and, and shown there. So, yeah, a couple of examples of how that could be done. But, yeah, when it's done um, well, um, it's amazing. And, uh, yeah, we've had a few schools over the years um, do uh, amazing things like that. Um, a recent example is Vincentia um, on the south coast of New South Wales. Um, they, they did a performance. It was a, a history um, about the um, the local local Aboriginal people and their 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 um, fight to get their land back, um, and the school, what they 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 used it as a way um, of uh, connecting with the local Indigenous community. Um, they 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 met with them. They um, discussed the history. They they met with the elders. They they sought permission um, for how to tell the story. Um, it was wonderful for the school community. Um, it, it brought, um, yeah, it, it raised awareness within the school community about the Indigenous community and, and the struggles. And on top of that, the story that they told was really informative. Um, you know, for anyone outside who's, who saw that story, uh, they, it was, you know, there was a lot to be learned from it. Um, and I remember watching it thinking it was beautiful. Um, yeah, I'd, I'd learn a lot, learned a lot, as I often do with Waikakiri stories. But um, yeah, that was a that's a really um, good example of, um, of of how that can happen. That's great. I love that it's educating not just the students but also the wider community um, of the school. That's that's absolutely a fantastic outcome for everyone involved. And I know, um, Min, maybe you can address this, but I know we've put together a few resources for schools. Um, things about helping them get integrate Wakakiri with the curriculum or the very important um, topic of how to tell a reconciliation story with proper consultation and respectfully. Can yeah. you talk about those at all? So yeah, so we've got a, um, well, we've got a curriculum resource document um, which goes through all the key learning areas of the curriculum and talks about how Wakakiri can be linked into those key learning areas. And then we also have our reconciliation teaching video resource and also a two page fact sheet with um, basically how to um, tell a reconciliation themed story um, in consultation with local community um, to respectfully tell that story and to, you know, tell it truthfully. Um, so all that information we provide to schools at no cost. And um, we're also always happy to chat to schools um, and soundboard ideas about how teachers can integrate Wakakiri. Um, it can be integrated, you know, uh, reconciliation is just one way it can be integrated. I, I know of another school this year that um, their story came about via their Harmony Day event. Um, it was inspired by their Harmony Day event and looks at the different cultural um, stories from students that make up their school community. Um, I think that's a fantastic um, way of coming up with your story because we always advise teachers to make the story relevant to the students. And if the genesis of the story actually comes from the students, well, the students are definitely going to engage with that story. Thanks, Min. We don't have too much more time, so I'm just going to finish with one final question. Um, and that's that we recently won APADA's Excellence in Performing Arts Award. Um, and I just wanted to ask you, Adam, and you, Min, what that meant to you personally. Adam, do you want to start? Uh, yeah. Um, it, 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 I think um, personally it was, it, 
It's really nice to be acknowledged, um, you know, especially when you've been working on an, on an event for so long um, and you hear people talk about it all the time, but um, you're, you, even though, and you pour your heart and soul into it, but, um, you know, not, it's, yeah, people are always saying it's a wonderful event um, and you, you kind of, you do live off that, you know, that um, feedback from schools. But to have a, an official body turn around and, and acknowledge it as well, um, it, it does, it definitely lifts <laughs> um, your enthusiasm um, and, uh, and, you know, makes you want to, yeah, try even harder, I think. It's, it, is, it, is a, it is nice to, to have an official recognition. Yeah, for me, I think, you know, I, I'm motivated constantly at Wakakiri through talking to teachers and parents about, you know, what their students get out of Wakakiri. Um, I know what we do is, you know, so beneficial and uh, to get acknowledged independently is just um, fantastic. Um, hopefully it will um, allow more people to hear about what Waikikiri is doing um, and, you know, maybe encourage some schools to give it a try that haven't tried it previously. Thank you both for your time. I know that we will be back here later in the year for another podcast with Apata. In the meantime, if anyone wants to get involved with the video challenge or learn more about Waikikiri, please visit us on our socials, Waikikiri Official or at www.waikikiri.com. Thanks, Adam and Min. Thank Bye. you. Thank you. Bye.